Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Before we begin, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to everyone who took the time to write us emails last week. It just seems like episode 509 really resonated with a lot of you, and we just really appreciate the emails, the photos, the sharing of experiences. It means so much to us when we receive this nice feedback, so If you haven't listened to episode 509 yet, add it to your list. And of course, if you loved the show, we'd love if you give a quick rating or review in the podcast app so that others can find us. Moving on to another great show today, we're spilling all of our secrets to making one of the most popular units in quilting, the triangle square. We also share stories of how quilting is helping communities, some fun sewing hacks, how to assemble an on-the-go sewing kit, and how to make progress on your UFOs even when you're busy with summer activities. So let's dive in. Triangle squares are basic units for quilters. Some people love making them, and some quilters think they're a necessary evil. But no matter which camp you fall into, you probably will make many, many, many of them over your lifetime. So you might as well learn all the tricks so that you can sew them more effectively and quicker. Recently, my mom, who is a newer quilter, was making a pinwheel block. So she had to make some triangle squares. She had never made triangle squares before, and she called me asking if the pattern was serious to cut the initial squares at a measurement that ended in seven eighths of an inch. She thought that was just a ridiculous request and I kind of agreed. (laughs) When you're cutting and sewing things down to increments of an eighth of an inch, a lot can go wrong. Any slight differences in your cutting and sewing can affect the finished product. And that's what I told my mom to oversize her squares and trim them down. So maybe you already do this. Um, In fact, I do this whether the pattern calls for it or not. And I will always make sure I have extra fabric on hand to account for the larger amount of fabric I'm needing. But if you're not doing this yet, here's the trick. Cut the initial squares an eighth of an inch larger than the pattern specifies. And then you just use your preferred assembly method to make your triangle squares. And then you'll trim them up by um, lining up a 45 degree line on your ruler with the seam line and just trimming the unit to the designated size. Speaking of trimming, there are some great tools out there to make trimming your triangle squares down to size easier if you don't like to use your normal ruler. So block lock is probably the most well-known, 
Blacklock sells rulers in many different sizes to trim triangle squares, so you can buy the ones you would most often use, whether that's specific sizes or even, you know, like small, medium, or large rulers to cover a variety of um, sizes you're making. And with Blacklock rulers, they have a groove in the center of the ruler that locks into your center seam of your triangle square. And then you simply trim all four sides around the ruler to cut off any of the excess. And a lot of people like to use a um, spinning cutting mat or rotating cutting mat because it makes it really easy to just kind of flip the unit around and trim without having to reposition things. My other favorite trimming tool is the Clearly Perfect Slotted Trimmers from New Leaf Stitches. So when you're using this ruler, you trim before you press your triangle square open so that you are aligning the ruler with your seam line and then you just trim two sides. And it also has these little grooves to cut off the dog ears too, which I love. So we'll link to both of these products in the show notes so that you can check them out. Speaking of dog ears, it's a good idea to trim those off. Whether you oversize your triangle squares or not, those little triangle excesses in the corners of your triangle squares can cause extra bulk while you're sewing things together and they can cause slight differences in your seam allowance. So it's always a good idea just to use your rotary cutter or even a small scissors and just chop them right off. Now let's chat some tips for marking your squares. So in most cases of making triangle squares, you're drawing a line down the center of your squares and then you're sewing a quarter inch on both sides of the drawn line. If you're struggling with sewing straight lines or sewing a quarter inch seam away from the, the drawn line, you're really not alone. <laughs> I don't know why this is so tricky with triangle squares. I think maybe it's because instead of sewing something straight, you're pushing something through your machine at a weird angle, um, but things can go wonky pretty quickly, um, especially if you're sewing fast not paying close enough attention, or you take your hands off the machine for a second. I know there's been so many times over the years where I've been chain piecing a long line of triangle squares, and I'll take one of my hands off the machine to grab the next pair of squares to sew together. And in that kind of split second of taking my eyes and one of my hands off what I'm sewing, things can go a little awry, especially when I'm trying to go quickly. So if sewing that quarter inch on either side of the drawn line just isn't working for you, remember that you can draw your stitching lines a quarter of an inch from the center. There's no rules that say you can't. I know every pattern says mark down the middle, sew a quarter inch, but you can also just draw your stitching lines if that's how your brain works and it's easier for you to just follow the drawn line. So you can just do this with your normal ruler by aligning the quarter inch line with the two corner points, and then just marking down the edge of your ruler. And they also sell little skinny rulers for this exact purpose. Um, so we can link to one of our favorites from Creative Grids in the show notes. Um, but also just a suggestion, if you don't like marking your fabrics with a pencil or another marking tool, you can actually mark lines with a Hera marker which just leaves indentations, but no permanent marks. So that's an option too, if you find that you're making tons of triangle squares and you're running out of your um, 
you know, if you have to sharpen pencils all the time or you're using some sort of marking tool with ink that you're constantly having to replace, you can always use a hair marker. So if you have a lot of squares to mark for your project, you can speed things up a little bit. So if you're using a hair marker, usually those can mark through multiple layers of fabric at a time. So you can try layers of two to three squares for marking um, and see how many you can uh, line up at once and mark. And if you're marking with a pencil or another marking tool, you can line up a whole row of squares just point to point on one line of your cutting mat and then just align your ruler along the entire row and mark them all at once. So that just speeds things up a little bit. You'll notice in some patterns, they call for marking your triangle squares on a sandpaper or a grit paper board. That's because when you're drawing a line corner from corner, you're pulling the square along the bias and you're pushing hard on your marking tool. It can kind of distort your square. I personally have never had issues with this, so I don't bother with this, um, but it's an option for holding your square and its original shape if this is something you're struggling with. So if you don't feel like marking at all, and hey, why would you? <laughs> it's a whole extra step. Um, there are actually some products out there that you can lay on your machine bed to help you align and lead your squares through the machine at the right angle for sewing that quarter inch seam. So some popular options are clearly perfect angles and diagonal seam tape. Both of these are removable, so it's not a permanent fixture to your machine at all, but we'll link to them in the show notes if you wanna see how they work more. Okay, let's get to sewing finally. <laughs> I'm going to throw another crazy sewing rule at you. Technically, triangle squares come out better when you sew a scant quarter inch seam allowance. Ugh, I know, right? Why does quilting have all these rules that don't really make sense? Why don't the patterns just say what they mean when they talk about seam allowance? Or why isn't the pattern just written for an actual quarter inch seam? <laughs> So scant quarter inch seams, they're usually asked for when you're making units that you sew, trim, and then flip, such as triangle squares, flying geese units, snowball blocks. So this scant quarter inch seam allowance gives you a few extra threads that you need to account for the width of the thread and the amount needed in the flip and then the pressing of the unit. So there are some loopholes here though, so that's the good news. <laughs> if you're oversizing your triangle squares and then trimming them to size, you are golden. Just sew with a regular quarter inch seam, you have enough excess. There's also a trick to use when you're pressing that can help too. So you can set your seam of your triangle square by first pressing on top of the stitching lines so this helps the stitching just kind of melt into the fabric so that when you press the triangle square open, you have just a clean straight line without some of the bulk from the thread. And my last tip for triangle squares involves sewing them to other units. So for some reason, my machine likes to eat the points of triangle squares, especially when I'm sewing two triangle squares together, which is 
a very annoying thing to have happen. <laughs> so it likes to push them down into the machine. Um, and if this happens to you, you can start sewing with a leader strip or just a little scrap of fabric to help your machine sew straight onto your triangle squares. Um, sometimes I will also just pull on the little scrap to help kind of nudge the triangle squares through the machine when it hits the bulk <laughs> of those seams. Um, if your machine came with a straight stitch plate, now's the time to use it. Not all machines do. Some you can buy them separately, some it comes with. But basically, the straight stitch plate has just one little hole for the needle to drop down in instead of the larger oval shape on your normal stitch plate. And this just keeps the feed dogs from catching your fabric and pulling it under. And if, the, and if you have the option to sew units together, or you can start sewing on a corner of the triangle square that doesn't have the seam, you can avoid starting a seam on all that bulk of the units and you'll have an easier time sewing. I know that's not always possible, but sometimes you can either um, start sewing from a side with the seam or the side without. So I always choose the side without to just um, give my machine a little head start before it hits the bulk of those seams. Phew, I had no idea I could talk so long about triangle squares, um, but it is one of the most common units in quilting. So I figured we could all use some tips or products for making them easier, especially if you've been struggling with them. And of course, once you con conquer triangle squares, the sky's the limit for patterns. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're hearing a few stories of quilting making a difference in communities, as well as some listener tips. Welcome back. I'm handing the mic over to Allison, the designer for Quilts and More, for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilting making a difference in local communities. Take it away, Allison. My first story comes from Bismarck, North Dakota, where one woman has made 50 quilts to donate to Bismarck Public Schools. Martha Downs has been quilting for over 16 years and said, I always had this dream of doing a big charity project. She decided to create quilts for kids in need within her community. She is aware that underprivileged children and homeless youth are some of the most vulnerable populations in her area. So she ended up spending around 500 hours making quilts to help warm and bring comfort to those in need. Martha has been supported by the BPS Life Education students who have volunteered to pack up and mail out finished quilts. The student volunteers are happy to help out with this generous project and play a small but important role in the donation. Their employment education teacher, Laura Mildenberg, said they love the giving piece of it because they truly know what they're doing to help families. These students aren't used to packing up such large items to mail out, so they've been challenged with trying to figure out how to make it work. It's been an exciting project for the students to be involved in, especially knowing that the 50 quilts will be put to good use by their peers. You hear 50 quilts and you think 50 quilts until you start stacking them. It's an unbelievable amount of quilts and it will go out and serve and keep 50 kids warm, said another employee at BPS. Martha actually weighed all of the quilts and it totaled 150 pounds. That just goes to show that each quilt really adds up. 
Martha is taking a short break from the project, but is hopeful that other quilters in the community will keep it going in her place. This next story comes from Baltimore, Maryland, where formerly incarcerated individuals are getting a second chance. Lifting Labels, a new organization located in an old warehouse, has become a sewing shop where robes and vestments are being sewn together for judges, ministers, and members of the choir. Many of the individuals who sew in this space are middle-aged and have spent many years, sometimes decades, in Maryland prisons. Longtime prison chaplain Chester France founded Lifting Labels in order to create sustainable jobs for ex-offenders, or returning citizens. Finding steady work can be difficult, especially if you have a criminal record. Chester recognized that there was a potential market for ceremonial garments and got to work. He sought support from various donors and raised $200,000 in order to get his mission off the ground. He was able to use this money to buy new sewing machines and hire workers to help get the business started. All of the employees at Lifting Labels gained sewing experience during their time in prison. It's very rare for skills learned while incarcerated to actually be applied in a productive way once individuals are released. Workers at Lifting Labels make $15 per hour, which makes a huge difference when it comes to rebuilding their lives outside of prison. The staff's first robe recently went to a Maryland Court of Special Appeals judge, and they're actually working on another robe for a judge of the same court. The other day, a pastor came by the warehouse in order to get fitted for a brand new black velvet robe. Instead of purchasing a ready-made robe that he had seen in Philadelphia, he decided to buy his own material and get a custom-made robe from the talented group of individuals at Lifting Labels. Chester believes everyone deserves a second chance and shouldn't be judged by what they did in the past, but by who they are today. And today, these employees are making a positive difference in their community. Thanks so much, Allison. I always love hearing these stories. It just reminds you of all the big and small ways someone can really help others. Now it's time for Reader Tips a segment where we share your best sewing advice. This first tip comes from Chelsea from Lusk, Wyoming, and she says, Throwing away excess binding feels wasteful. Because I rarely make scrap quilts where I could incorporate the strips, I use leftover binding to tie up the cords on my iron, sewing machine, or phone charger when they're not in use. This gives the binding a new use, and I don't feel guilty throwing it away when it wears out. Well, this is a great idea. I always have those awkward leftover pieces of binding at the end of a project, and I save them because I always think I'm going to make scrappy binding, and I never do, but I'm going to start using them to tie up cords. My husband seems to have a million cords laying around the house, so this is going to be perfect. The next tip is from Chris from Greencastle, Pennsylvania, and she says... An easy way to sort a growing stash of scraps is with clear plastic paint pail liners. I put one color in each liner and stack them so they take up little space. That's a great idea, and I'm sure you can just buy packs of those paint pail liners, um, so it's probably not a very expensive storage solution. So Pam from St. Louis, Missouri says... 
I use a shadow box to store my sewing thread behind glass doors. I sort the thread by color so I can quickly locate what I need. The shadow box keeps my thread from getting dusty and is colorful, decorative element in my sewing space. Yeah, I love that idea of making your supplies work as artwork in your room. So Connie, um, I don't know where she is from, says, When I sew one strip of fabric to pieced sections, such as when I add sashing to a block row or a border to a quilt center, I place the pieced fabric on the top. This allows me to make sure the seams are stitched in the correct direction and that I can fudge as necessary to catch those perfect points. This is a great tip. This is also one I personally use every time I'm sewing my rows and sashing to uh, pieced blocks because then you can easily see if things are off a little bit. You can readjust. Um, you can make sure your points are coming out perfect with that quarter inch seam. Um, so great tip, Connie. Helen from Lafayette, Indiana says, when I finish a quilt top that I won't have time to machine quilt for a few months or longer, I spray baste the quilt sandwich layers together, iron them smooth, and machine baste an eighth of an inch from the edges. This securely holds the layers together until I'm ready to work on the project again. This is just such a great idea. I know I let my quilts waiting to be quilted sit a very long time. And then when you finally get it out again, just the thought of having to baste it, sandwich it before you can get started, I think really holds a lot of people back from actually finishing their top. So I love that she just does that step right away, uh, bastes it around the edges to keep it in place, and then it is ready to go when she is ready. Okay, and our last tip today is from Mary from Las Vegas, Nevada, and she says, To hold small pieces together for stitching, such as an English paper piecing, I use a clover wonder clip, so it gives my fingers a larger surface to grip, and I have room to sew. So if you can't quite picture what she's talking about, picture sewing together, um, maybe very teeny tiny hexagons for English paper piecing, ones that your fingers might really get in the way while you're sewing because they're so tiny. So I love her idea for using a wonder clip to hold them so that you have something to grab onto, which leaves you room to sew on those pieces. These are all great tips. Um, and of course, we're always looking for new ones to feature. So if you have a genius idea to share, just email us at apqtips at meredith.com. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're talking about making an on-the-go sewing kit and how to prioritize your summer sewing. Welcome back. Now I'm here with Elizabeth, the art director of American Patchwork and Quilting for Get Organized, a segment where we give storage tips for your sewing space. And since we just had a streak of hot weather here in the Midwest, we have handwork and on-the-go sewing on the brain. That's right. Spring is already here and summer is just around the corner. With the rising temps, my attention begins to shift outdoors and I seem to spend a lot less time in my sewing room during these warmer months. 
The time and energy I would normally spend sewing on the weekends is now spent keeping up on my yard work. And after being cooped up inside all winter, I'm ready to enjoy outdoor gatherings with friends and family, and maybe even throw in a little bit of travel and vacation time. However, this doesn't mean I also need to take a vacation from my sewing. It just means that I need to be a little more intentional with my quilting and maybe switch up the types of projects I work on in the summer. So today we wanted to talk about organizing an on-the-go sewing kit. Great idea. I just love having a little kit already packed so that I can just grab it to stitch outside or while I'm traveling. And of course, I love not having to spend, you know, my precious sewing time grabbing supplies from different places around my sewing space. So Elizabeth, I think the first thing we need to talk about is um, what types of handwork projects you most commonly work on and uh, kind of think through what that means for your on-the-go kit. That's right. Focusing in on one type of handwork project will definitely help you to narrow down the supplies you either need to buy extras of or which supplies you can borrow from your sewing room. There's definitely no need to pack up a bunch of items that you'll never get around to using. Now, I personally love to work on smaller projects like embroidery or yo-yos in the summer. And I just find sewing yo-yos, they are just a lot of fun. They have very minimal supplies required and they're extremely portable. Um, I love using my Ulfa Circle Rotary Cutter and a little mini cutting mat. And this uh, rotary cutter just makes such quick work out of cutting the circles out with precision. And it just eliminates the need to use and pack a template. Now, however, if you don't have one of these circle rotary cutters, you can always just pack a marking tool, your circle template, and a pair of fabric scissors. Um, to save even more time and space in your on-the-go kit, you could also cut out a stack of circles ahead of time. The only other item to include items to include in your yo-yo kit are a pair of scissors, some strong thread, and a needle. And I also like to pack a clover yo-yo maker. They come in a variety of sizes and make the whole process just so quick and easy. A couple of years ago, I made a bunch of yo-yos in my spare time out of tulip pink fabrics, and then I just stitched them down onto a neutral background in rows, and it created such a colorful and fun wall hanging. And if you've never tried making yo-yos, I highly encourage you to give them a try this summer. I think they are the perfect portable handwork project. Now, what about you, Lindsay? What would you put in your on-the-go kit? So I am a big fan of English paper piecing and hand sewing, um, but I like to keep it really simple with my on-the-go kit. So I just pack needles, pins, wonder clips, a thimble, a small snips, and then a neutral color thread that matches basically all my fabrics. Um, most of the time when I'm doing handwork, I will prep all of my pieces and templates in advance so that I can just grab my, my pieces, my prepped pieces in my kit, and then just throw everything in my bag. So like we said earlier, if these are items you don't usually use in your sewing room, it's okay to pack them away in your on-the-go kit. However, if they're items you frequently use in your space, you may want to invest in doubles of these supplies. Likewise, if you are going on a vacation and won't be near a local quilt shop, be sure to pack extra supplies in case you run out of your favorite thread or misplace something else. So now it's time to find the perfect storage solution for your supplies and your project. 
I personally love to use soft-sided pencil cases or makeup bags with zippers. They're super lightweight and I can just easily toss them inside my suitcase or my purse. Um, and then I'll even store my smaller supplies like my fabric snips and needles in an upcycled breath mint tin. Um, and then I just tuck that inside my larger bag um, with my fabric. And I just love that it keeps everything separated, but still together. I love those ideas, those little like weird hacks. Um, I have one too that I'm going to share, but uh, since yeah. I like to do a lot of sewing outside and Iowa just seems like it's windy every day. Um, mm -hmm. My favorite storage hack is to use a magnetic tray from a hardware store to carry my supplies. So it has a really strong magnet, so it holds all of my supplies really tight um, through transport, wind, um, if I drop things. Uh, and it also, um, I like using a small mason jar to hold supplies too because it can fit in the cup holder of a car. So that's when I'm a passenger and doing handwork while I'm driving, or not while I'm driving, when someone else <laughs> is driving, um, having something that I can fit in a cup holder works really well for me. Oh, I love that mason jar idea. Um, I know you and I both really love to add binding to quilts on those long road trips. And that's such a great idea to keep your supplies close at hand and also, you know, just prevent them from getting lost between the seats. So, yeah, which is exactly. impossible to find things in. <laughs> I, yeah, I was throwing uh, things on the floor for a while and <laughs> that was not that working. Dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think I'm going to have to try that mason jar tip um, on my next road trip. So yes. thanks for that idea. Um, we hope that we've given you some ideas just to give you the motivation to prepare your own on-the-go kit so you're ready to sew even when you're running from activity to activity during the summer. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks. Now we're moving on to UFO Challenge, where we give tips for finishing your longtime projects. So as we approach warm weather, I wanted to share some ideas for setting yourself up for successful summer sewing. If you're like me, the amount of time you have for sewing just plummets in the summer. I have tons of yard work, I love spending time in nature and traveling, and although I still make time for sewing during the summer, I like to plan projects that make it pleasant to sew um, and make an impact on my UFO list. So if you're in the same boat, here are just a few tips. One, plan handwork projects for summer. So if you have any handwork projects on your UFO list, such as English paper piecing, wool, embroidery, hand piecing, summer is a great time to work on them because they're portable. So you can work on them outside, while sitting in the passenger seat of a, a long ride, or even at sports games or outdoor events. So right now, I'm actually prioritizing finishing quilting a few big projects so that I can bring the projects to bind by hand on an upcoming road trip. So I'm already thinking this spring, what can I finish to have something to do in the summer that doesn't involve me sitting inside of my sewing room? Okay, tip number two is to cross some smaller items off your UFO list. If your sewing time is limited in the summer, sometimes it makes you feel the most productive to finish up some small projects like bags or pillows, any home decor or clothing or pin cushions, you know, just tiny things. So even with limited time, you can make real progress on smaller sewing projects, even if you're just sewing 
you know, maybe half an hour a week or just a few minutes a day, you can make a big impact on some of these smaller projects and still cross some items off your list. And my last tip is to do the tedious tasks. So sometimes we save tedious tasks on projects until we're in the mood. So the UFOs can sit longer and longer, but now is the time. So set a timer this summer for 15, 20 minutes and just conquer the boring tasks for a little bit each week. So maybe it's um, pulling papers out of foundation pieced projects. Maybe you have a bunch of triangle squares to trim. Um, maybe you just need to kind of cut and sort some scraps from a few recent finishes. Uh, maybe you need to add hanging sleeves or labels to some quilts or um, this is one of my favorite things to do. I like to make backings and bindings for upcoming projects. I always get stuck on those last steps for some reason. So sometimes when I just don't have enough time to sew, I will just conquer some bindings or backings so things are ready to go um, when I'm ready to quilt more. So just by completing some of these tedious tasks, you're just setting yourself up to make real progress on these projects when you have more sewing time in the fall and winter. So I'm looking forward to how my sewing life changes in the summer. Uh, like all things, my sewing time kind of ebbs and flows with different seasons and different stages of life, but that doesn't mean I can't set myself up for some success this summer to accomplish some goals and finish some projects. Thank you all for joining us this week. As always, I appreciate each and every one of you, and I hope you all have a great week.